All right. Well, thank you, ladies, for that. We're a Bible-believing church. Amen? Amen. And uh, the Bible says this. This is not really the sermon. I was just thinking that as I was listening to them sing. Uh, and, uh, you know, even though the world and all these crazy neo-evangelical, whatever you want to call it, have corrupted and perverted good music, and in some ways, I think those of us that are Bible believers are overreactionary. We we maybe overreact to the error that we see, and sometimes we, quite frankly, can create the opposite error by overreacting to a different error. But uh, but music is is something that's very important. It's important to God. It's important to God's people. And Colossians three says this: It says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom." teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I'm grateful that God has given us such wonderful songs to sing to Him and songs to admonish one another and to encourage one another. Now, I got to tell you, I think I might have shared this with you last time they sang that song, which was, I think, last Sunday night. Is that right, Andre? I'm not 100% sure I'm sold on the theology of that song. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to put it. Uh, but I do know this, that all things, and that all means all things, all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Which means even those things that God didn't, weren't part of God's perfect plan, are things that in His sovereign, providential grace, He can work together for what he would call good in our life. And to be reminded of the fact that we stand shoulder to shoulder with 2,000 years of people that have served Christ and have gone through adversity and have many nights sacrificed on their knees in prayer, seeking God's face, seeking God's power, seeking help. It's comforting to know that God worked it together for good for them and that even sometimes when we can't see it, that he'll do the same for us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, this morning, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Brother Jim mentioned memory problems. And um, I don't have any memory problems because I can't remember what I forgot. <laughs> but uh, an amnesiac walked into a diner. We'll make it a diner, okay? Because church. Amnesiac walked into a diner. And he saw a beautiful brunette sitting at the counter there. And he walked up to her and he said, Hey, do I come here often? Uh. <laughs> Did somebody explain it to him? All right, very good. The past, present, and future walked into the same diner. And it was tense. Now, I said that one because it actually kind of fits with what we're looking at here this morning. And this morning, I have to confess to you, I have a very unusual message, especially for Sunday mornings. I tend to preach very topical, kind of targeted messages. We're going to really enter and focus on one point and, and be able to say, okay, that's what that was about and move forward. And this morning is going to be a little bit different, and you'll see why here as we get through the message. But, um, but I want us to understand when we get started here, what we're reading in 2 Timothy. Now... Every word in your King James Bible is directly from the heart and mind of God to you. Every word is inspired. All scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration. And so we can say every word in here is God's words. And we believe that and that's true and that's the bedrock. But it is important for us to remember the instrument that God used to... Give us his word. Now, if you were going to write a letter, a note, a love note to somebody that you loved, okay, that you wanted to communicate affection and you wanted to communicate sincerity towards, most of us probably would not take an orange crayon and the back of a used McDonald napkin and write, Dear Gertrude, I love you. Right? Now, the words are the same, okay? But most of us wouldn't do that because we understand that the implement or the vessel that we use is important to be consistent with the message. And sometimes 
The implement that we use reinforces or undermines the message. And I want us to remember that when God decided to inspire his words, he very carefully and, and very specifically selected the implements or the vessels that he would use. So just like you might pick up a beautiful fountain pen and select very nice stationery to write a love letter to somebody, just like you also conversely, if there was you know, a rattlesnake in a room and you wanted to let everybody know not to go in there, or even worse, maybe a, a Democrat, uh, you would, it's a joke, okay, it's a joke. Uh, you would want somebody to know that. You wouldn't take that nice fine tip mar or, or, uh, uh, fountain pen and in small, beautiful cursive write, do not enter, okay? You would take a big red mark and write, do not enter. The message and the words are the same, but the meaning is amplified by the vessel, okay? And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we have one of Paul's epistles. He's already been used of God to write all of his other epistles, and 2 Timothy is the last epistle that he is writing. Most of his epistles were written to local church congregations. And through those epistles, Paul communicated his concern. He communicated his love. He communicated his desire to see them do well. But I think it's maybe instructive for us this, this morning to remember that when he was writing his last epistle, again, it's God's words. I'm not disputing that. I'm not trying to diminish that. But he, he wrote them to a person, to an individual. An individual who happened to be the pastor of a local church, sure, but somebody that he loved as an individual. So Paul's last inspired writing from the heart of, and mind of God to us is to an individual. And he's writing his farewell address, if you will. And because of that, I think we want to take some instruction by looking at the implement or the vessel that God is using here at this time and what it means in the context of his life so that we can maybe understand some of the depth and texture of what we're going to read here. And I want us to look and start off in one verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 7. Paul says this to Timothy, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. He says to Timothy, Consider what I say. Ruminate on it. Think about it. Pray about it. Take it with you through life and as, and as life happens, take what I'm saying and consider that. Let it be something that lasts in your life and lasts in your heart. And I wonder if Timothy as a young pastor, maybe one or 10 or 15 or 20 years later, was dealing with a situation and he was reminded by the Holy Spirit of God that Paul had told him to consider the things that he had said. And that the Holy Spirit of God brought truth and scripture to the remembrance of Timothy and gave him, as Paul prayed here, understanding in all of those things. And as you read 2 Timothy, which I've read 2 Timothy several times this week, there's a couple of keys that continue to be repeated over and over again in this last letter. Now, Paul is the same man that God used to tell us that the just shall live by faith in the book of Romans. Now, the just are those that are uh, the recipients of the imputed justification of the Lord Jesus Christ when we receive him as our Savior. But it says that we're going to live by Faith. Live by faith. And the word that's not surprisingly to any of us, that occurs over and over again in 2 Timothy is faith and the word faithful. The word faithful. And what Paul is getting ready to do in a very human way, he has given his life for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has... He has been the vessel that God has used to inspire the majority of your New Testaments, at least in numbers of books. He has started numerous local churches. Some of them have done well, and in some cases his heart was broken. He's led multitudes of people to the Lord. 
Some of them have been faithful and some of them have not been faithful. He has addressed problems in churches. He's rejoiced and he's wept. He's suffered, he's been persecuted, and here he is in a Roman jail getting ready for his execution. He's getting ready to pass off the stage. And if you've ever invested yourself in anything, and uh, your time for moving on has come, maybe it was a job, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was a business, whatever it was, you know that even though your time to move on might be there, that your heart is still going to remain behind. And I can't imagine how true that was for the Apostle Paul. As he was getting ready to move on into eternity, what his heart was like for his life's work. The very last thing that God allowed him to do was to write this letter to this young pastor. And in this letter, he says, consider what I say. And in considering the epistle of 2 Timothy, the word faithful occurs over and over again. And this morning, I want us just to look and to consider what Paul's heart was trying to communicate when I'm gone, when I'm not here anymore, when you can't text me. And thank God that Paul didn't have cell phones. We probably wouldn't have a New Testament, right? When you can't reach out to me anymore, when, you can't, when we can't communicate, when we can't see each other, here are the things that I am trusting, that I'm praying, that I have faith that will endure and will continue. And by the way, the second corollary word in New, 2 Timothy, I believe, is the word endure. It occurs over and over again in this epistle. But this morning, I want us to just look at this one word, just in a couple of instances, the word faithful, and to consider what Paul said. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapters 2 and start in verse number 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to who? Faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, because of this, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, our thing for 2021 is the church's fight on to stand up and to stand for the cause of Christ. Our series this, this month has been to fight for the frontier. Um, our, our vision, I believe, is to say, it's not enough for us to say, okay, we're going to hold the fort, right? Now, uh, truthfully, I don't like that song very much anymore, but I used to like it a lot. Okay, hold the fort, right? But, uh, but that's not really our commission. Our commission is to move forward as well to establish a new frontier, to follow Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and to, and to take territory that today is owned by the devil and to reclaim it for the cause of Jesus Christ. You say, well, we're living the last days, but the last days present great challenges and great opportunities at the same time. Amen? Amen. Okay? Amen. Uh, there's people that are lost and on their way to hell today that, that we need to introduce to the Savior. There's situations that are wrong, and there's people that are in sin today that need to be delivered. We need to fight for the frontier and to move forward. And so we're all about verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We memorized this a couple of months ago. But in that context, what Paul is talking about here in verse number two is the, is the idea of simply this. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Why? Because someday, Timothy, you're going to be where I am. Someday you're going to look back at your life's work. And you're going to have to face whether or not the life that you lived mattered. Whether it was lived in God's will. You're going to have to look back and say, has the things that I've stood for, have the things that I've invested myself in, have the people that I've led... Are they ready to move forward without me? Timothy, someday you're going to be where I am. And if you're going to be able to look back with the same hope that I have, it's going to be because you have committed the things I've committed to you to men. But not just to men, to faithful men. Now, Paul knew all about this. Now look at uh, verse 1 again. Thou therefore... Okay, well, when we see therefore, we always ask that question. What is the therefore, therefore, right? Well, if you look back at chapter 1, 
Look at verse number 15. Uh, Paul says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. So, so Paul ends chapter 1 with this great uh, relief that there is one man that uh, helped him. But, but he's also saying, you know, all the people that are in Asia, and these two guys in particular in verse number 15, they're turned away from me. Because of that, because of that, Timothy, be strong. But because of that, those things that you've heard of me, I want you to find some men. But I want you to find faithful men. And I want you to take those faithful men who aren't going to turn from you when there's a cost for standing for righteousness, who are going to be willing to endure, who are going to be willing to do right, and find those faithful men and the things that I've taught you that you've heard among many witnesses, I want you to tell those things to other men who shall be able to teach others also. So the first thing that we see that Paul is calling for, if you will, is some faithful servants. Some faithful servants. Now, I hope you realize that you and I are the direct results and the recipients of the obedience of those that came before us to this simple principle. We see here, first of all, a perpetual preparation. Now, I am a zero-point Calvinist, okay? If you're going to create a system of theology, you should probably get one of your five main tenets right. And they didn't, okay? And that means that God, in His wisdom, has committed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to His church, to His people. Which means that if there's one generation that disobeys 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, that the gospel, in theory at least, is only one generation away from being extinct. But for 2,000 years, in persecution as well as in liberty, the gospel has been passed from one generation to the next by Amen. faithful men. Nobody here got saved without the influence of somebody else. Take your Bible if you would go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We see a perpetual preparation. What Paul told Timothy, I'm getting ready to die, I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm looking forward and I'm looking back, and, and Timothy, when you're in my place, I want you to be able to do the same thing. In order to do that, do what I've done. Give your life to commit the truths of the Word of God to faithful men who when you're no longer there, are going to do the same thing. And you and I have that same call today, 2,000 years later. And I know the Lord is coming back on Tuesday. I understand that. Okay? But, it, but, but if He comes back on Tuesday, then, then be found doing what He commanded you to do. Okay? And what He commanded us to do is to find faithful men and to commit those things to them so that they'll be able to teach others also when we're where Paul is in 2 Timothy. When we're looking back on our life and saying, boy, I hope it mattered. I hope I, hope I did something that really is going to outlast my meager existence. Can I remind you, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just at verse 20. Paul says this, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we have a perpetual preparation to make sure that what we believe doesn't die with us. And can I tell you that that's more than just the gospel. We are looking all around around us. And Bible Christianity is not being transmitted from this generation to the next. It's just not happening. Mostly because people of my generation are abandoning Bible Christianity for pragmatic, worldly, thinly veiled philosophies papered over some Bible truths. But you know what? Our mandate hasn't changed. 
Our mandate is still to take Bible Christianity from our hands and carefully and prayerfully and intentionally pass it on to our children with the expectation that should the Lord not come back on Tuesday, that they'll do the same with their children. There's a perpetual preparation. But I want us to remember also that this is a matter of a select stewardship. Paul said, look, these guys turned away. But some were faithful. All of us need to invest in an an Onesiphorus. You say, how do I know? Well, when you get to the end of your life, you'll know. I wish I knew the secrets, right? I wish I knew the secret of, of, of what person was going to get saved and get discipled and stay in church and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what a good prospect looks like. I don't know how tall they are. I don't know how much they weigh. I don't know what house they live in. I know this. I know that very often what you'd expect is the exact opposite of what you get. Have you ever knocked on somebody's door and they have like, you know, uh, friends welcome signs and uh, angels be walking with you today and this house is filled with love and, you know, all this stuff and you knock on the door and some sweet little old lady comes to the door and she says, hello, can I help you? Hi, I'm Pastor Gelker. Slam, right? That's, that's kind of been my experience. And then you meet somebody that looks like they just got, you know, drug out of a tattoo parlor by a, you know, a meth addict and... You think, oh, goodness, right? And, uh, and that person, you give the gospel, and, and you find out that just, this, just that morning, he was looking up at the heavens saying, well, my life can't get any worse. God, if you're up there, I need some help. So I don't know what a good prospect looks like. I don't know what a good anesophorist looks like. But I know this, that what Paul did was he poured himself into many witnesses, to many people. And there were some that were faithful. There were some that were faithful. But I want us to understand this. Look what Paul said. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. What did Paul communicate to Timothy? Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 20, if you would, please. I want to say, first of, uh, last of all on this point, there's a comprehensive commitment. And I mentioned it earlier. But our mandate is not just to see the gospel go from one generation to the next. And by the way, when, when our focus becomes only that, then our methodologies will become pragmatic. If, if, if the only thing that pleases God is to get the gospel and to get people to pray a prayer, make, us make, make a knot on our spiritual board and feel better about ourselves and to move on with our lives, then, then by definition, anything that facilitates that objective becomes right. But that's not what the Bible says. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Our mandate, our main focus, as I said before, as, as blasphemous as this is going to sound to some Baptists, our main focus and our main mandate is not to lead other people to Christ, it's to please Christ. Now, one of the things that we can do that pleases Christ is to lead others to Christ. But the Great Commission isn't go out and see people pray prayers. The Great Commission is to create disciples of Jesus Christ. People that are saved, people that are following, people that uh, are being taught all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's what our mandate is. That's what our stewardship is. In Acts chapter 20, look at verse 26. Paul says this, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's what Paul taught Timothy. He didn't teach him a new philosophy of ministry. He didn't teach him a, a new way to look at things. He didn't get all wrapped up in some little group or some little thing. Or He taught him all the counsel of God. And that's what our mandate is. If biblical Christianity is going to be transmitted from our generation to the next, then our mandate is to transmit all the counsel of God. And that's why we need to preach doctrine. That's why we need to preach what the Bible teaches. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. 
for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So first of all, Paul is calling out here in his last moments. So we need some faithful servants. Some faithful servants. And then, we continue on 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, and then verse 11, it is a faithful saying. It is a faithful saying. So Paul says, look, I'm getting ready to pass on, and I'm looking back, I'm looking forward, and, and, and I'm seeing the need for some faithful servants. But I'm also seeing the need for some faithful sayings. Some faithful sayings. What's a faithful saying, Paul? Things that stand the test of time. Things that are true yesterday in one cultural context that are true tomorrow in a completely different cultural context. That's a faithful saying. Statements that are eternal in value and merit that confound the wise. In John 7, 46, the officers, when the Pharisees said, hey, why didn't you bring him? Why didn't you arrest him? They said, never man spake like this man. We were going to arrest him, and we tried to do it, but then he started talking, and, and you know what? We, we kind of forgot what we were supposed to be doing because never man spake like this man. There's some faithful sayings that have been committed to our trust. Statements that confound the wise. Statements that comfort the wounded. John chapter 8, where that woman that was taken in the act of adultery was brought before the Lord. And when he rode on the sand and those men one by one went out from him. And when Jesus lifted himself up, the Bible says, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Those are faithful sayings that comforts the wounded. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 5, real quickly, please. Matthew chapter 5. Faithful sayings are sayings in which we can have faith and sayings that build our faith. And we just went through a, a brief overview, I would say, of the, of the great Sermon on the Mount. But one of those things that we see over and over again in Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus saying this. Remember, you've heard it said this, but I'm going to tell you this. Now what he told them didn't contradict what God said, but it pointed them to the heart of the matter. It's one thing to be like, okay, Lord, technically I'm in obedience. But he says, I, the, the goal of the law is to have your heart be in obedience. It's like the child that uh, won't sit down at dinner and gets a spanking, comes back, won't sit down, gets a spanking, won't come back. Uh, just fix what I'm saying wrong, just in your own mind, get it right. Uh, and, uh, and finally, after enough spankings, the child sits down and then says, but I'm standing up on the inside, which means, by the way, the problem hasn't been fixed and addressed yet, okay? But, but, but that's like us so many times, isn't it? Like, here's the line, there I am, Lord, ha <laughs> ha, get me now. Right? That's, that's kind of our attitude sometimes. Now, we would never say it like that, but that's our hearts. But that's what the Lord's addressing here. You've heard it said this, but, but I say to you this. And if you look at verse number uh, 33, again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Don't find some quibbling way that you can say, it's okay for me to swear over here. And he's not talking about cursing. He's talking about making an oath. Uh, uh, but, it's, but it's not okay over here, and it's okay over here. But the Lord says this, Swear not neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor, for neither, uh, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the king. Neither shalt thou swear thy, by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. 
But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. You know what? That's a faithful saying. What the Lord is saying is just be honest. Speak forthrightly from your hearts. Let what you say matter so that somebody doesn't have to come up to you and say, do you mean that? How many of you have ever noticed that there's a certain politician that I'll not name, but he has a habit of saying, and I'm telling you the truth, and I mean that. You know what those verbal things tell you? Is that he's in the habit of saying things that aren't true, and in the habit of saying things he doesn't mean. So when he accidentally says something he thinks is true, or somebody has told him recently that is true, that he's going to say, ah, that's true. I'm not even lying to you this time. You know what? If you're a Christian, the people that know you shouldn't think that you speak like a politician. You should just be known to somebody. You know, and that's because that's a faithful saying. A faithful saying. There's a couple of faithful sayings that Paul gives us. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 again, back where we were started from. Let's look at the context here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It is a faithful saying. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Now, what in the world does that mean? If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Well, this could be its own sermon series, frankly. But he's talking about the faithful saying of the crucified life. Take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 6, if you would. Galatians 2, he says this. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you're, if you're saved, then you have two natures. An old Adamic nature that can do nothing right. And a new nature that can do nothing wrong. And what Paul is saying is a faithful saying is that if we be dead with him, if we let our old man be dead, if we let our old man be crucified, if we, if we consider the old nature, the old man with all of his hopes, dreams, ambitions, uh, uh, values, if we let that man die, then we'll live with Christ. Up is down and down is up and left is right and right is left and the path to life, practically speaking for the Christian, is a death. Look at Romans 6, verse 11. Paul says this, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's a faithful saying? It's a call to crucifixion. Quickly, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We don't have time to make too many comments. I want you to see these this morning, though. What is a faithful saying? Paul's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry. He's looking back and he's saying, What's going to be my impact? What's my life going to matter? I hope I've trained some faithful servants, and I hope I've left some faithful sayings. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse number 15, look at this. Paul says this. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. The next faithful saying he leaves us is a statement of salvation. Anybody, anywhere in, the, anywhere in the whole wide world can accept what the Bible says about the salvation that's found in Christ Jesus. Because if Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the chief of sinners, then whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a faithful saying. And you know what? When you and I are faithful at transmitting that saying, then we are fulfilling Paul's dying wish that somebody would take these faithful sayings. Go to John chapter 10, if you would. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, by the way, just so you know, only if you have a King James Bible, Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. He's come to save that which is lost. That's the mission statement of Jesus Christ. When I was an Air Force officer, you had to have a mission statement for everything you did. And if you did something that was not in, in accordance with that mission statement, well, it probably was something you weren't supposed to be doing. Jesus Christ's mission statement, 
The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. It's a faithful saying. Look at John 10, look at verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We have a statement of salvation. That's a faithful saying. Quickly go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 if you would please. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse 9, please. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Now what's Paul saying there? Because of the gospel, because of our mandate to reach the lost, because of our mandate to, to teach all things whatsoever I have I've commanded you, then we're going to labor. We're going to suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God, because we're not keeping score the way the world keeps score, because our hope and our values and our worth is not determined by what the world says, but our eyes are focused on eternal things. Because of that, when labor gets tiring, and when suffering reproach becomes hurtful, we can endure. So Paul, what's a faithful saying that you want to leave with us? The encouragement to endurance. That's really what 2 Timothy, I think, is really leading towards. We, didn't we memorize this a couple of months ago? For now I'm ready to be offered, and the time I'm at a partridge's hand, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's what he's saying. Everything I went through, by God's grace, I endured. And Timothy, I hope, that, I hope you'll endure. I hope one day when you're at the end of your life, you'll look back and see that you endured. What's a faithful saying? The encouragement to endurance. And then Titus chapter 3, quickly please, Titus chapter 3. We're not going to get stuck on this this morning. Titus chapter 3, what's another faithful saying, Paul? Verse number 8, Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Well, what's those good works? Well, things that the Bible calls good works. Things that make us unique. Things that make us distinct. Things that make us pleasing to our Savior. And so what we see here also is, Paul, what's a faithful saying? The summons to separation. The idea that not only has God called us to live holy lives, but he's equipped us and he's empowered us to do just that. If you believe in God, he says, prove it by being careful to maintain good works. The Christian life isn't something that happens by accident. You don't just wake up and... If you think, well, I'm just going to let my heart guide my way. I'm going to click my heels three times, and I'm sure that I'll live the right kind of life. Can I tell you? It's just not going to happen. It happens as a result of intentional, prayerful, searching the Scriptures, and then willfully conforming our lives to God's Word. And God has called us to be separate from the world around us. Not so that we can be estranged from the world, but so that we can be in fellowship with Him. So Paul, what's a faithful saying that you want to leave? Number one, there's a call to crucifixion. There's a statement of salvation. There's an encouragement to endurance and a summons to separation. But that's not all. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would, please. And this is just such a beautiful portion of Scripture. I, I just, every time I read it, I'm just amazed. Verse 11, this is a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If you want a millennial reign, if you want to be able to faithfully and substantively execute authority in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, when your opportunity comes, and it will, yea, all that will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, embrace it. 
If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Now, think about what people do in order to get a little bit of political power here. And frankly, you never, they, they, no matter who it is, they never get to do what they think they're going to get to do. Because people are fighting them and they've got it, blah, blah, blah. But they spend money and time in their whole life. But, but, but if you'd suffer now, then when there's actually a government that's worth serving in, the one that Jesus Christ is going to lead, then you can reign with him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I think it is. But he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, some people say, see, I told you, you can lose your salvation. Well, hold on. Just read the next verse, okay? If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Paul is at the end of his life. He's looking back and he's looking forward through the eyes of faith and he's writing to this young man, Timothy, that he led to Christ, that he trained, that he loved, that he invested in, one of many. And he said, Timothy, I hope that at the end of my life I can see some faithful servants and I hope at the end of your life you can see some faithful servants that you've invested in so that when you're gone, what you've lived your life for, what you stood for is going to continue. And he says the same thing to us. And he says, I've left you some faithful sayings, and I hope you've been a good steward of those things. But at the end of the day, Timothy, my focus is not really here anymore. I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. So the same man that <clears throat> told us earlier about the struggle that he had Within him, he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, he told us. But to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Well, his race was coming to an end. And the thing that Paul had learned, I believe, experientially, as well as through the inspiration of the Scripture, is that it's important to have faithful servants. It's needful for us to have faithful things. But all of that is true because of what we read in verse number 13, that we have a faithful Savior. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul knew that on many, many occasions he had had done things that would have given the Lord Jesus Christ all reason and opportunity to say, Look, man, I've put up with you as long as I could. I've been patient. I've been long-suffering. I've given you this. I've let you do that. And now look at what you're doing. I'm done with you. Now, if that's true about Paul, that might be true about one or two of us. Maybe. But I'm glad that when I get to the end of my life, that I don't have to take inventory and count on my goodness, my belief. Because we talked about in Sunday school that God's righteousness is a perfect righteousness that comes from a perfect reservoir. And the truth be told, I think I'm getting old enough now that I can see that so many of the things that I do that even appear good are done for the wrong motives. I don't know if Paul had that same conclusion in his own heart. But he said in verse 13, if we get to the point where we don't even believe anymore, he abideth faithful. He's faithful. We have a faithful Savior. He cannot deny himself. He can't undo his faithful sayings. And he'll never abandon his faithful servants. Take your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1 if you would. He's given us some precious promises. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have some precious promises. We read, about, we read from John 10 earlier that no man can take us out of his hands. You see, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're here this morning and you've done that, you became part of the body of Christ. You became part of Christ. And he became part of you. He's inside of you. And he can't deny himself because he's faithful. We have some precious promises. Go to Hebrews 13, if you would, please. Just back a couple pages. Hebrews 13. One of those precious promises is a permanent presence. A permanent presence. You hopefully have experienced this before as a Christian, that some of the sin that you thought was going to be so exciting and so great and so fulfilling just didn't deliver just became empty and hollow and you think, well, what's the matter? Well, you have somebody living inside of you that's not having a good time when you're trying to live in sin. But thank God. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Boy, I'm glad that that's not a conditional promise. You know, the Bible has a lot of conditional promises. If you do this, then I'll do that. I'm glad that he didn't say, if you won't forsake me, I won't forsake you. Because I'd be in trouble. And so would you. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Lord, does that mean that even on my worst days, even when my faith is strong, I mean, my faith is weak, and my doubts are strong, You're there? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And because of this, I want you to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. We have absolute assurance. And all I can say is, if this doctrinal truth, and it is a truth, that a, somebody who's truly been born again has eternal security in Christ, if that offends you, then I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. It's because you're a religious hypocrite. It's because you think that you're better than somebody else and that God is impressed with that difference. Because if you were honest with yourself, and if you're honest with God, you would realize that the only thing that you can reliably depend on is the grace of God and not the goodness of yourself. So here, let's, 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 let's ring this out, and we'll go home. Verse 11. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. What's the context? Millennial reign rewards. If we deny him, he also will deny us. What does that mean? Well, the context is what? Millennial reign and rewards. But what if, what if some dishonest religionist was going to come and say, well, see right there, he's going to deny you, so that means you can lose your salvation. What if somebody was going to do that? Well, just in that case. And I know nobody has ever tried to do that, right? And, and by the way, if somebody does that, the, 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 the question that you should start by asking them is, well, what is the condition? The condition is that you have to suffer to go to heaven. When the Bible says that Christ suffered once for all. Okay? But just in case somebody's going to come and say that this means you lose your salvation, Paul gave us verse 13. If we believe not... Now, what is the condition of salvation? But as many as receive him, then gave you the power becomes the Son of God, even them that what? Believe. believe on his name. Okay? That's the condition. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Okay? That's the condition of salvation. What happens to the Christian who stops believing? Now, if you're self-righteous, this is going to hurt, okay? But it should. 
If we believe not. Now, what does that mean? That means if you as a born-again Christian get to the point where you say, no, nah, the Bible's a fairy tale. Jesus Christ was a liar. And I renounce my faith and my belief. And all those years I spent in church and all the money I tithed and all the money I gave to missions and everything I ever did was a complete and utter waste of time. And if I could, I'd go back and I'd do it over and I'd live all those years and spend all those dollars and, and all that time and energy, I'd spend it on myself. And you're truly born again. Here's how faithful Jesus is. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Amen. Amen. Paul's at the end of his life, and he's getting ready to enter eternity. And he says, I hope there's some faithful servants who are going to keep this thing going. And I know God's given us some faithful sayings that we can count on. And that no matter where you are in the world or where you are in time, you can stand on those sayings. But the thing that I'm most impressed with, the thing that I'm most grateful for, is that I have a faithful Savior. That even if I didn't believe anymore, He's still faithful. Even when I turn my back on him and say, Lord, I've done it your way long enough. I've paid enough. I've suffered enough. I've given enough. And you know what? I'm just going to have a Baptist pity party and I'm going to do it my way. Now, I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. Okay? But I'll just tell you, as the only person in this room that's ever done that, that he's still faithful. He's still faithful. And because of that, here's the sermon. You ready? We can be faithful too.